Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we'll be hearing from Dr. Christopher Graham. Dr. Christopher Graham is Vice President of Academic Affairs and Professor of Theology at Criswell College. His academic research is focused on early Christian theology and biblical interpretation, as well as evangelical and Southern Baptist theology. He and his family have been residents of Southeast Dallas for over 20 years. Without further ado, Dr. Christopher Graham. If you have your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 39 through 52. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. It says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but went then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. This is indeed the word of the Lord. Thank you, Eddie, for uh, for reading that for us. We will indeed be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. I have titled this morning's message, It's Time to Be Real, What Jesus Reveals About the Ordinary Life. I've chosen what I hope is a timely passage this morning. That is, it's based on the time we find ourselves this morning, those of us who are gathered here at least. First of all, it's timely because we are at the beginning of the semester, and I hope that the words and the the lessons we learn from this passage will be useful to us this semester as we go about our business in the classrooms and in our daily lives here outside the classrooms. Second, it's timely because of where we are in the Christian calendar 
We are indeed going to be and looking at that passage that Eddie read for us beginning in verse 39, but if you've got your scripture open, just let your eyes uh, look back earlier in chapter 2 to remind uh, yourself that just a month ago we were celebrating the birth of Jesus. We were celebrating the incarnation, the coming of the eternal word of God in flesh. We were celebrating uh, there in verse 16, the baby in the manger just a month ago at Christmas time. And then for some of our communities, we extended that and celebrated uh, shortly thereafter the revelation that we have uh, when the the, the magi come to visit Jesus, uh, the epiphany, the Dia de los tres, uh, tres Reyes, the Day of the Three Kings. That's behind us as well. And now we are in what the church calls ordinary time because we're not yet to the place we're going to just in a couple of weeks uh, where we start to begin ourselves, to prepare ourselves for a celebration of what Christ does uh, in his death, resurrection, his ascension, and then even uh, a celebration of what he does seated at the right hand of the Father when he gives the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost. We're not there yet. We're here. We're in, again, what the church calls ordinary time, what uh, W.H. Auden, the poet, calls the time being. And so I think it's appropriate this morning to look at a passage to help us learn what it means to keep it real to be real. So for those reasons, I've titled this morning's message, It's Time to Be Real, What Jesus Reveals About the Ordinary Life. Because as the one who is fully God and fully human, to understand better what it means that Jesus was human helps us to better understand what it means for us to be human. He reveals something to us who are ordinary humans living in ordinary time. And so this morning, we're going to look at four elements from the narrative here to ask, what does Jesus tell us about the importance of places, people, posture, and patience? First, places. As Eddie was reading the passage this morning, you no doubt saw that the climax of this section of this passage is taking place in Jerusalem. And not just in Jerusalem, you see in verse 45, but uh, what Jesus is doing there in the temple, verses 46 uh, and following. We certainly can't overestimate, certainly even if you just have a cursory knowledge of the history of Israel and of Scripture, you know we can't uh, overestimate the importance of Jerusalem Uh, and the temple in the history of Israel, as it's recorded in Scripture, in in Jesus' own life, in uh, the the, the record of the narrative of Jesus' life in Luke. We know the importance of Jerusalem and of the temple. My guess is, though, that most of us, when we think about Jesus' time in the temple, our minds go to the end or toward the end of the Gospel of Luke, starting in about chapter 20 and following. Because in those passages, that's when the excitement happens in the temple, right? That's when Jesus is a little bit frustrated with the, 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 the ones who have turned this from a house of prayer to a den of robbers. This is where there's uh, angst between him and his opponents in the temple. That when he's arrested uh, in the garden, he asks, listen, I've been in the temple 
frequently, and you haven't, you haven't done anything there to me. I've been there every day, and not only has he been there, but he's been teaching there. So most of us probably, rightfully so, logically so at least, go to those Instagram moments at the end of Luke. And I want to draw us back to the be real moment here in Luke chapter 2 and what's going on here because this is as important for us to understand what it means to live an ordinary life as is what happens in Luke chapters 20 and following because you'll notice here that what's happening as Jesus is in the temple is that he is learning. Notice there, verse 46, And it came about after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. This is an extraordinary uh, uh, reality in the life of Jesus. This is the only place that we have him in the temple actually absorbing and learning and being shaped. When we see him again in the temple, now he's teaching and he's an active agent. But here, uh, he, here he is learning. And remind, let's just be reminded that the reason he's here is because his parents brought him here, uh, but not the first time. If we were to read back into chapter 2, we would see that he has been here before because his parents have faithfully brought him here. So before we move on, let's just ask this question about Jesus in Jerusalem and the temple in chapter 2. What does Jesus reveal about the importance of place when it's time to be real. Here's one thing he reveals to us, that as we mature in, in, in wisdom, we will see things, we will learn things about the places that have shaped us that will disturb us. But it does not negate the importance of that place in our formation. By the time we get to chapter 20, Jesus is disturbed about what's going on in the temple. I have no reason to doubt that those same sort of things are going on even here, right? This, this isn't like a new thing that happens in the temple that he needs to correct in between chapter 2 and chapter 20. This is here. As a matter of fact, if you, if you let your eyes just go to the, the, chat, uh, the verse just before what Eddie read for us, verse 38, notice that Anna is praying for and looking for the redemption of Israel. Something already needs to happen in Jerusalem and in the temple, and Jesus will affect that, and it will be important for Jesus to do those things. But it does not negate the place of the Jerusalem and the temple, just that place in Jesus' life at just this time. And the lesson for us is, as we learn and grow and mature, the places in which we have been shaped, we will learn things that will disturb us. But it does not negate the importance of those places. In fact... Just remind yourselves that it is, again, Jerusalem that will be the center of growth for the church beginning in Acts as Luke continues his narrative into Acts. Jesus does not give up on that place, and it is important in his growth here. But notice in what we read here that for as important as Jerusalem and the temple are in Jesus' growth, as important is Nazareth. In fact, 
It is in Nazareth that Luke records the actual growth is happening. Look at verses 39 and 40. And when they had performed everything according to the law, so they had been in Jerusalem, but now Luke records in verse 39, they're going back and returning to Galilee to their own town, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of, the, of God was upon him. And then they returned to Jerusalem. But then... Verse 51, at the end of this, and he went, Jesus went down with them, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Yes, Jerusalem and the temple is important in Jesus' life. But the growth is happening in Nazareth. 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 Let me give you some numbers here. Jerusalem, 787 times is named in the Bible. 787 times. I told you, you can't overestimate the importance of Jerusalem. Nazareth, never in the Old Testament, 19 times in the New Testament. 787 times, 19. Luke alone mentions Jerusalem 31 times in over half of his chapters. Jerusalem! He only mentions seven times Nazareth. And all here, primarily here, except when Jesus is referred to as being from Nazareth. And then again in chapter 4. And of course we have and we know that aphorism that Nathaniel says that John records for us. What good can come from Nazareth when Philip says, you need to meet this, this one that I've seen, that, that I know, that I've heard about. You need to come and meet this Jesus, the one from Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? What does Jesus reveal to us about the importance of place? When it's time to be real, there is no place that God has ever placed you that is unimportant in your growth because God has placed you there. Sure, the teachers uh, here, as we just read uh, in, the, in the temple, are razzled and dazzled by Jesus' knowledge. They're amazed by what he knows and how he's interacting. But the learning, the shaping, the growing in wisdom took place in Nazareth. Some of you will go on to places that are not Criswell to get further degrees. And some of them will be big names. I mean big names, right? But do not discount the learning that is taking place here. And just remember that, some of, that, that, that long before you made, met the brilliant instructors here at Criswell College, there were people in the places you're from that were shaping you there. Don't discount them. They are as important, if not more important, gulp, than what's happening here. You may razzle and dazzle some of us, but those places is where you've been shaped. And do not discount them. Nazareth, that place where Luke records that Mary, he's very specific, Mary got the word from the angel in Nazareth that she would bear a son, which takes us to the second element, people. 
people. What does Jesus reveal to us about the importance of people? Well, first, let's go back to and remind ourselves of who's in the temple. Well, there are these teachers, of course, and scholars conjecture that the place where they are in the temple is Solomon's portico. Why Solomon? Sometimes Dr. Kieser, don't know if he's here today, sometimes Dr. Kieser talks about going up to Dr. Criswell's study and just, and just being there to do his work because he's in a place of someone with some gravity. To be in the temple with maybe Solomon, the thought of Solomon there. And, and by the way, up to this point in, the, in Luke's narrative, the ones we've met there in, in the, the temple, Simeon and Zechariah, they are filled with the Spirit. These are, these are people who are shaping Jesus and Jesus' family as they are making trips there. But again, I want to remind you that the growth is happening through the ones who are closest to him. It's Mary and Joseph, those people, those two who are taking him, taking Jesus to Jerusalem. Uh, Notice, by the way, how they respond to what's happening in Jerusalem when they get back there. Notice verse uh, 47. This is as Jesus is sitting in the temple. uh, And uh, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48. And when they saw him... Um, we, the, the parents, Mary and Joseph, they were astonished. And his mother had said to him, Son, why have you treated us in this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And when they did not understand the statement which he had made to them, and they did not understand this, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to him, them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. The people who shape us are important. That's what Jesus reveals to us, and the people closest to us uh, need to, we need to keep in mind how God is using them to shape us. Yes, the folks in the temple are razzle-dazzled, but Mary and Joseph are astonished at the fact that he's here, and then Mary treasures these things in her heart. It is Mary and Joseph's influence on him. So what does Jesus teach us today about the importance of people? Don't let familiarity breed contempt, is how the saying goes. Don't dismiss those who who have been influential in your life, in those places that you were at before you came to Criswell. What a shame it would be if you went back on a break or you went back after graduation with your knowledge. And the people who have shaped you, who have poured into your lives, who Dr. Worthington reminds us prayed for you to be here, feel less valuable because you're just too good for them. So Jesus teaches us the importance of people. Let's take and talk about the third element, posture. What does Jesus teach us and reveal to us about posture when it's time to be real? Well, uh, uh, the most obvious one there is in verse 46. And it came about that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. This is his posture, the boy Jesus, sitting with the teachers. 
It reveals his willingness to be with them and hear them, and, and Luke is very explicit, listen to them and learn from them. Do you, do you get the, the, the early church grappled hard and long with this? The one who is knowledge is sitting and listening and learning from those who he created and gave knowledge. And his posture reveals his willingness to learn. But as Alan Culpepper indicates, the New Testament scholar, this is not the center of the passage, the dramatic center of the passage. That actually happens later. We've just read it. Let's read it again. Verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Jesus responds in verse 49. Verse 50, they, the, the parents, do not understand. Verse 51, and when he went down with them and came to, to Nazareth, he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. For as important as, and picturesque as that moment is when Jesus is sitting in the temple, as important is the fact that now he continues to subject himself, uh, submit himself, obey his parents, having just having just said, did you, know not, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He, has, a, an, he has, has an identity at this point of who he is and the, the, the intimate relationship he has with the father. And yet, he has a posture of submission by following his parents, whom he is to obey. What then does Jesus teach us about the importance of posture in being real? Well, this is, I think, what he teaches us, reveals to us. A posture that manifests humility allows for growth. A posture of humility allows for growth. What does your posture indicate about your willingness to grow? What does my posture indicate about my willingness to grow? Is it possible that the reason that Jesus was able to submit to the Father in the garden, not my will, but thine be done, is because he had learned how to submit in these early years. And that, in fact, he had watched his mother and heard about his mother who said, be it according to your will. May, may what you uh, have, have revealed to me through the angel, may it happen, may I be subjected to that, and that Jesus then learns this himself so that he is prepared when he then submits to the Heavenly Father. Are you allowing yourself to be shaped so that you can be sent? That's what we say around here. Shaped by Scripture, sent to serve. Are we allowing ourselves to be shaped? And does your posture indicate that? Sometimes I think we tend to so emphasize teaching critical thinking, rightly so, but we tend to so emphasize critical thinking as an independent activity that allows me to sit on judgment on ideas and people that we forget there is a place for learning and submitting ourselves to the wisdom of others. Several weeks ago, as I was preparing this message and just this passage and just this point, I, I kid you not, I, I took a, a moment to move away from this in my office and go over to the latest issue of the Chronicle of Higher Education. Big fancy, you know, 
thing that, you know, that we read you know, in, in higher education, the chronicle of higher education. And I read this article by Daniel Dresner. You could not pay me enough to lead a college. He's talking about what it means to be a college president or dean. And here's what he says. So why are these such horrible jobs? Because the primary task of any college leader is to deal with the most spoiled, entitled, pig-headed interest groups imaginable. Oh, tell us how you really feel, Daniel. First, there are the students. Yeah, I said it. These are his words, not mine. They view themselves, not entirely unjustifiably, less as apprentices in knowledge and more as customers demanding platinum-level services. Students possess a volatile mix of knowledge and ignorance. Quite often, they are the ones who can tell when a particular intellectual emperor is wearing no clothes, but at the same time, they have zero, uh, zero knowledge of how large organizations and run, are run. Most students are super confident about how they think the world should be run and woefully uninformed about how the world is actually run. Good luck to the college dean or president tasked with explaining any of this to them. Now, I know Daniel Dresner doesn't know Criswell students, or he wouldn't have said this. Maybe. But I just ask you, what is your posture? Is it one of humility that allows for growth? By the way, if you think that I'm being unfair to students, or that D Daniel Dresner is, let me just read another sentence of his. If students are bad, faculty members are worse. <laughs> Professors are a bunch of know-it-alls who never speak for five minutes when 50 will do. <laughs> I am tempted to keep going, but maybe I should just be humble and move on to the fourth element, which is patience. What? What? does Jesus reveal to us about the importance of patience? We've talked about places and people and posture. What about patience? Well, notice chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing. Some of your translations may have progressing or growing in wisdom and stature. Notice here he is 12 years old in this passage. When we see him again, when he begins his ministry, Luke records for us that he is 30 years old. Other texts that are circulating in the early church alongside the Gospels that we have, and the Gospels, others are embarrassed by this fact that Jesus grows, and they have him doing unbelievable things as a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a 12-year-old. But Luke is not embarrassed by that. He understands that to grow takes time and patience. And notice the patience he displays here in what happens in the temple when his parents come up to him. Verse 48, and when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. You know, I, I, I don't think we have the language here in, uh, that, that properly indicates probably what happened. 
Uh, and in fact, I don't know that, that our English text here properly captures that. I, I absolutely love the nuance in, in Spanish. I have a feeling it was something like this. Hijo, donde estaba? Por qué? Por qué te fuiste? Where have you gone? Hijo. And if you're a, te- if, uh, if you're te- a Texas Spanish speaker, mijo, where have you been? But notice Jesus' response. Why is it that you are looking for me? Again, I don't think that captures what's going on here. The, the, the Greek here indicates that Jesus is expecting a positive response. Like, it, it, I think it's more like this. Oh, didn't you know? Like, I thought, I thought you should have. Of course I'm going to be here. Where else would I be? I mean, you, you've seen me in Nazareth. You know my priorities. You know what, who I'm all about. Did, didn't you know? Of course, claro, of course I'm here. So what does Jesus reveal to us about the importance of patience in being real? Well, this, because growth in ordinary time takes time, you need to have patience with yourself and others. It's no accident that the scriptures use horticultural metaphors, agricultural metaphors to speak of growth. When Jesus tells the parable of the sower, he speaks of the good soil, the seed that is sown on the good soil and produces a crop a hundred times as great. And in explaining this, Jesus says this, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So as we speak about being cultivators, know that this means being patient with others in their growth and ourselves. And I would just add this, that just because Jesus displays patience here does not indicate that he is passive. This is the first time, actually, in verse 49, that we have Luke recording what Jesus actually says. And this is the first time in the gospel, in the narrative, where Jesus is an active agent. Actually, up to this point, others are the active agents. Mary and Joseph in the story of Jesus. Now Jesus is an active agent. So just by speaking about patience, we don't mean passivity, but we mean gracious patience. Jesus today in this passage, I hope, teaches us a bit of what it means to be real, what it means to live in ordinary time. Because of the importance of places, the importance of people, the importance of our posture, and the importance of patience. And so, Father, this morning we submit ourselves to you and ask that you would do that work in us that needs to be done. Make us humble, teach us what that means, impress upon us the importance of the people and places you have brought into our lives to shape us and shape us still. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Dr. Graham, thank you so much for a powerful, impactful word on today. And of course, I'll uh, proceed to Q&A with you as they get my seat. The important thing is you got your seat. Um, so one, wow, I, I was taking a lot of notes and I think one of the things that I know that all of us can relate to and certainly I can relate to is the whole thing of placement and feeling as though that maybe you're in the wrong place. Ah. The, the feeling of, oh, I'm not where I feel like I need to be, and so maybe the place for me is not 
where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and we've all been there, and I know I've certainly have been there myself. As you reflect on the text that you've preached, yeah. how might we be encouraged? And I feel like you've already done it through the sermon, but it, it doesn't hurt to talk more about it. Yeah. How might we be encouraged uh, and might the persons who feel that low self-esteem, that low confidence of, well, Lord, am I, am I in the right place? It's so hard. Yeah. It's so difficult. The, the, myself, I'm difficult. The people are difficult. The work is difficult. The, everything. What, what things do you, could you share with us? Yeah, and so I think that is precisely the, mm, the challenge in living in ordinary time. I appreciate you saying that my message was, you know, nice and brilliant and impactful, but I was hoping for boring, right? I mean, that's what I was going for, just like because I hate sometimes preaching these sort of sermons because they're so, well, ordinary, because this is just hard, right? This feeling that you're talking about the importance of place. I, I, don't, I think that's a universal, not, not universally in everybody, but a very frequent uh, feeling. Uh, and I think it's good to hear and be reminded from the text this morning that, uh, that God is intentional in directing our lives, and that includes the places we are, right? So I want to just do something real quick, Kendall. I know we don't have much time, but I want to do this real quick. Here we go. I want you to just think to yourself, where did I grow up? When, when people ask you, where did I grow up? I just want you to think first, what do I answer? What's, what's the answer? Now, don't say what you typically say to me. Like when I ask you, so where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Most of you will do this. Well, yeah, well, do you know where Houston is? Yeah, I know where Houston is. Okay, well, I'm about 30 miles outside of Houston. No, 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 not that answer. The name of the place where you grew up. That, the actual place. You know, due west South Carolina, which is an actual place, by the way. Right? Truth or consequences, New Mexico. Actual place. What is the place you grew up? You got it? Now, I want you, I'm, I'm going to count to three. I want you to say that place. One, two, three. Yeah, Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff, McAllen. Places, I mean, I don't know some of the places you said. The, your neighbors may not. They may need the directional, like, oh, you know, it's, well, it's kind of like you go here and you take a hang of right. I think we need to be reminded that the place you just said is the place God use that place to direct your life and shape your life. And, and to just hold that, as Mary did with what she was experiencing, hold that close to us and appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's real, Dr. Graham. I mean, just for example, I grew up in East Dallas. Now I presently live in South Oak Cliff. And it was those years in East Dallas, you know, growing up, going to, you know, Skyline High School and, you know, growing up as that kid, you know, the, the, you know, hanging out with, you know, other fellow nerdy kids like myself in the video games, comics, and all things awesome. Um, and, and then dealing with bullying and things like that, but then watching the Lord take those stories and use it to help other people. Today. And what I'm saying is lean into that. Don't back away from that, y'all. Those are the places God has used to build you up. I meet folks, and the reason I'm getting passionate is because you mentioned my neck of the woods, my hood, Southeast Dallas, right? Down not far from Skyline. And I've, I've met folks who are from down that way. And they do, they do bobbing and weaving in every gyration they can to avoid saying, I'm from Pleasant Grove. 
Because in Dallas, Pleasant Grove has some connotations. The minute you say you're from Pleasant Grove, you got a certain stigma attached to you. What good can come from Pleasant Grove? And I'm saying, if that's where God used to, to shape you, embrace that, right? Some of you, and I'm just going to speak real quick to, the, to the, the Bible scholars out there who may know the name Walter Brueggemann. Walter Brueggemann, huge Old Testament scholar, right? Very influential. Pleasant Grove, y'all. Pleasant Grove. So that's what I'm saying is, is to, to appreciate and accept that that is where God has placed you and that he has used the circumstances, good and bad, there to shape us. That's so true. I mean, like, even now, if you go just through South Dallas alone, there's some bad preachers out there who just, who know the word of God back and forth, who are expository, exegetical, whose doctrine is solid, such as yours. And so, uh, yeah, so and there great. are some that aren't. And some of you grew up with those sort of preachers. And God somehow miraculously used that bad preaching to get you here. And you need to not run away from that and embrace that. God put those people in your lives to get you here. And again, appreciate, lean into who they are and the importance of that God, that they played in our lives. Absolutely right. And Dr. Graham, when I say bad, I apologize. When I say bad, I mean very good. There are some ex excellent preachers who are bad preachers, but they are very good. That's what I meant by that. But you're right. There are some terrible preachers out there, and it's like, oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> Context is everything, amen? Uh, anyone have any questions out there? I have some, so the, 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 don't, don't miss out because I got some. Okay, here we go. The gentleman right here in the middle. Yes, sir. Um, so um, I wanted to ask this question. So Jesus learned the word or did he just inherently know it as the, the son? So uh, let me make sure I have the question right. So did Jesus learn the, the word? Yeah, scriptures. Or did he just know it because he was God? I don't know. I mean, this is what's so crazy. Right, so, so, so what we reject is the far end of the spectrum over here that Jesus knew it and he was, even though it's not recorded in our Gospels, that somehow he's doing crazy things and that he knows it and he's a know-it-all. And we got text out there that the early church says, yeah, that's completely out of bounds. But there is clear growth here, right? There is, there's not, this is not an attitude of, 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 of posturing, right? Putting on a posture. I think there is true growth there, true learning that is happening if we, if we take this seriously. And this, even those who are not at that end of the spectrum are a little bit like, but how does that work, right? So the early churches, they're speculating, especially the Alexandrian uh, theologians. They're like, well, Jesus knew it, but he acted his age. I don't buy that. I don't know. I get why they're going there, because this is the one who knows, right? Uh, but what I read here is that Jesus actually is growing in wisdom and in stature for sure, and in, 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 in the grace of God. And I would, I, would, I would think that he's also growing in his understanding of who he is, and, and that he is in his understanding of Scripture. But I, I don't, it's, it's, I think it's silent on that. Powerful, thank you. Anyone else? All right, here we go. Oh. And 
I tell you what, brother, do you mind if we go to her? I, I remember seeing her raise her hand also. We're going to go to her and then to you. Yes, Lynn? Oh, okay. We're going to do it like that. Here we go. It's all good. Brother, good. There we go. <clears throat> so, uh, how do we disagree with people that have shaped us uh, in our lives when we come back home to Nazareth? and they say things that don't really add up. I will use a real example. Someone told me they know the year when Jesus is coming back and they wanted to talk about it. So how do we, how do we disagree with them and try to, yeah, try to engage them from that posture of humility? Yeah, and so I think the type of wisdom that, Je- that Jesus is growing in according to Luke in, in the two passages that, where he's growing in wisdom and grace is displayed when Jesus then begins his public ministry and is back in Nazareth in chapter 4. And here's what it says in verse 22. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? So Lane, I think part of it is learning, learning how to grow in that relational understanding. How do we, how do we disagree with someone in a sympathetic but critical way, for those of you who had me for courses, right? How do we, how do, we do that? And there are ways of doing that. Uh, one of the greatest compliments that I've ever had paid to me by someone who knew me well, and, and it, they said, Christopher, you know what you're really good at? You're really good at telling someone they're wrong, but they don't feel like they're wrong. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Now, that was before I knew about this passage. But in hindsight, I think to myself, isn't that, isn't that a great skill and growth to have, a growth in being able to see to the heart of things, to disagree with someone, but at the end, not do it in such a way that is gracious. I think, I think that's it. And it's, it's something we grow in, Lane. I don't have a one, two, three. Yeah. Wow. Man, Dr. Graham, God bless you. I need to hang out with you more often. God bless you. Yes, you do. Let's clap our hands for the awesome Dr. Graham. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. And thank you all. You are dismissed. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.